So if you just look at how the pandemic has transformed travel and access to talent and the ability for these celebrities or even normal people to go out and enjoy a concert, it's going to become increasingly impossible. So we're going to see a trend where virtualization is going to create tremendous efficiencies and AI-generated content is going to facilitate and solve a lot of these problems. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Encrypted Podcast. Encrypted is the Middle East's largest podcast dedicated to blockchain, digital assets, and fintech. I'm your host, Ahmed Balaghi. In today's episode, we have Arif Khan, the CEO and founder of Aletheia AI. We discuss what AI-generated synthetic media is, why it could explode in the future, and how blockchain is enabling real use cases to counter the growing rise in deepfakes and drive the adoption of content-derived from synthetics and AI. Today's episode will literally blow all of you away. All the different facts and interesting findings around how audio and AI-generated content is being used in many different types of contexts. Now, before we start, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, CoinsApp. CoinsApp is a global social payments application for cryptocurrencies based on the Dan blockchain ecosystem and payments infrastructure to empower billions of people to send money around the world in seconds. They have just released their beta, so do go out to the App Store or Google Play Store to try out for yourself. Thanks a lot to CoinsApp for sponsoring the show. Also, I'd really like to thank those who've been supporting the show. And remember, you can support us in any way possible. You can subscribe, rate and review the show, share the podcast on your social media and any other way you feel like supporting. And now on to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Encrypted Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today, I am with Mr. Arif Khan. Say hello. Hey, good to be here. Thank you for joining. So Mr. Arif is the CEO and founder of Alethea.ai, really, really interesting company. I actually met Arif through the startup I run by Economy. Alethea was one of the launch partners. We were fascinated by the technology they were building and how they're utilizing different forms of emerging technology for the use case. And so today, that's what we're going to be talking about, talking about a bit about Aletheia, talking a bit about what they're doing, and just generally about how the world could be a better place. <laughs> All right. So, Arif, could you introduce yourself, tell everyone what's happening? Yeah, happy to. Thank you for having me on. And I think the... General idea behind Alicia AI is we really believe that the synthetic media revolution is going to be as transformative on the world as the Gutenberg press was to the written word. And synthetic media really is AI generated media. And what we're seeing right now with AI generated media is you can generate and create a face or a voice very low costs and allow that face and voice to be copied, pasted, and transferred to different contexts. You're seeing this in consumer apps with Snap and their lenses and their filters. Some of these are, of course, pre-designed. And you're seeing it in more nefarious use cases with deepfakes used in political campaigns or in deepfake pornography. So all of this across the world, the fundamental drop in computing power and Moore's law is leading innovators, creators, artists, and even 
people who are inclined to do fraud to mm-hmm. experiment with these emerging technologies to create new form of content. And I think where Alithia AI is positioned is that this type of content that is so powerful and transformative is going to fundamentally reshape the way we look at the content economy. Combine that with the fact that the pandemic is occurring, that machine learning algorithms are getting better, and people are really interested in finding ways to reduce their risk of human interaction, but at the same time enhance their ability to create content. So Alitia AI, if you visit our site today, you'll see virtual characters, individuals, and and people, all AI-generated. That's the key difference. These are not Photoshop or created through manual effort or labor. They've been created through our algorithm. So that's sort of the unique efficiencies that we're trying to bring to market. And there's an underneath layer below that of trust, which is where the the blockchain comes in. So I just thought it started off there because that's our essential thesis. And then we can work backwards from there as well. We can. All right. Because I've got a ton of questions. (laughs) All right. Synthetic media. Why is it called synthetic? Like, What does synthetic here mean? And okay, let, let's go through that first and then I'll go to the next question. Yeah, I'm happy to, yeah. So synthetic, I mean, have you tried the synthetic meat before? You mean the the, the the bear burger one? The... Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's oh, okay. real meat, which is made from cow or beef or lamb, you know, like all of the different natural ingredients in the synthetically produced meat, which is, you mm-hmm. know, biologically engineered in a lab, made with plants, tofu, I don't know, everything else that's combined to create it. So synthetic, the word synthetic means it has many connotations, but the idea generally is that it is sort of a derived format and it's not from the original source. And it is in this context specifically not natively shot within the content domain. So let's say if you want to create a, what you call a synthetically generated character, and let's say that character is Barack Obama, you essentially the character that you create at the end of the day is there's no native footage needed. You don't need to get a camera to shoot Obama in the flesh or in a person. You yep. can create that content without needing that original source footage. Does that make sense? I get that, yes. So it kind of answers that sort of second question I had, but it partially answers it in the sense where why do people want to create this sort of AI-generated media? I understand maybe the economic costs and everyone's busy, so you don't want to sort of get a camera at somebody's face and it's sort of generated by itself or through these algorithms. Is it like, for example, Obama feeding into the algorithm or his maybe copywriters or whoever saying, okay, this is what he needs to say and boom, the character pops up and says what he needs to say. I I don't understand that. (laughs) No problem, no problem. So So let's break it down, right? Because in your example, there is the face of... Maybe let's use a less harmful example than taking a president, right? So let's say... Why? What's wrong with using a president? I, I don't know. <laughs> well, in, a, in the American context, I think it's perfectly okay because uh, yeah. you have sat- satire laws here and you're allowed to creatively render works of art, right? But uh, nice, perhaps perhaps in a Chinese context, this might not be possible. So <laughs> I think I think if... Okay, let's say, let's say we use President Obama and... President Obama has a specific voice and his voice is a specific tone, a timber, a melody, a pitch. There's, there's a specific signature that voice carries, right? So if you mm. listen to his audiobook, I think it was Dreams from My Father. And if you listen to his voice, the machine learning algorithm can actually learn from that voice, take that data in and be able to generate the exact same voice saying new words and infer these new words. So. The new words could be extremely realistic sounding, would be exactly as if Obama said them, 
that would just be in the voice, right? So this is possible today. It takes some time to train data on a clean audiobook or you know, publicly available information. If you're a public figure, you are at risk of getting deep faked, right? Because your voice data is out there, your face data is out there. So that's dealing with the voice. Getting him to say anything is possible today, and bad actors can do that. So can good actors. On the good side, what this can mean from a technology standpoint, you know, one of the requests we often receive is, hey, can you preserve the voice of a family member in our family because you know they're critically ill? We'd like to preserve their voice and likeness so that their voice could one day be used in an audiobook that maybe has not yet been published, but our grandfather is actually reading that to great-grandkids not yet born. So just like you passed down DNA, you can now preserve and pass down a voice. And so this is what the type of cultural memory that is possible to be passed on just through voice and storytelling and oration, right? So we are a species that is inclined to tell stories. We've been telling stories since we were cavemen. And uh, whether it was drawing on the walls or whether it was telling stories through voice and sound and music, these have been intrinsically part of our humanity and culture. So now there are tools that can replicate a person's voice and preserve it. Of course, in the entertainment industry, this is very powerful. You have now people that want to bring back to life entire characters or people who have acted in movies and there's enough training data available Mm. to train these characters. So there's a studio, I think, in Hollywood that has decided to bring back James Dean's voice, but also his face and his entire persona. That is the way he walks, his gait, the way he slants, the way he looks, all of these signature things, they're wanting to recreate it. And all of this is possible because of the advances in collecting the data, training the data, the compute resources, and the algorithms that feed in. So the way I look at it, I break it down is data, algorithms, and then you get the output. So if the data is clean, and then you add the good sound algorithms, you will get decent output. And it's in the output where you can start to do many, many creative things with the original source information. So from a voice standpoint, yes, you'll get, you can get Obama to say anything now. You know, many people have, I think there's a really cool channel on YouTube. Well, I don't know whether cool is the right word, but essentially what he does is he just clones, he or she or they just clone voices of public figures from John F. Kennedy to Franklin Roosevelt. And all they do is in addition to many other sayings, they read this meme on the internet called the Navy SEAL copy pasta. So mm. you can hear John F. Kennedy, based on the publicly available training data, actually <laughs> saying the Navy SEAL copy pasta. So it's quite interesting wow. how the technology is going to evolve. And this is just on voice. Voice alone is just a voice. so yeah, powerful. Yeah. Imagine yeah. action, whatever. Yeah, it makes sense. Okay, you mentioned, you know, I want to talk about risks and all of that. But first, I want to get to sort of use cases. Main use case, you said, okay, preserving voices and passing it down generations. I mean, what other use cases can we see other than memes and what you just mentioned as well? I'm still struggling to see sort of how could people use this in their daily lives? Is it meant to be for people? I mean, you mentioned Hollywood. I, I could see where the entertainment industry comes from. But what else is there for, you know, normal folk? Yeah, yeah, of course. So so if you think of CGI and... The thesis here is that CGI is being democratized, right? So if the effects of what would typically be possible only in expensive Hollywood studios, and if people can now do these things, what will they create with it? And 
the same sort of revolution or content revolution occurred with Instagram filters mm. or the way that Instagram made it so easy for you to create professional photographs. Before that, the only people who were able to do that were people who understood Adobe Photoshop. Before Adobe Photoshop, the people who were able to do image editing were a very specialized subset of people who had gone to programs in universities to learn graphic skills and graphic editing skills, right? So... You can see the technology becoming democratized as compute resources move to edge devices where your phone yeah. isn't a supercomputer. And now you have all these cool filters and you can create these amazing effects and make you feel like a superstar photographer. And that's on photos, yeah. right? So yeah. if you apply this sort of same lens, you apply it to any media transformation, mm -hmm. any technology, you'll start to get a sense of how wide this transformation is going to be and why my statement that this is like the Gutenberg press is it's not an overstatement. It's actually, it may be an understatement because you can now cut, copy, and paste a face just like you would do text, right? And what that's going to do is, it sounds so abstract, but what it's going to do is it's going to allow people to create new forms of content. So I'll give you one simple, simple example from a consumer standpoint. You're watching, I don't know, what's your favorite TV show? Have you seen Game of Thrones, for example? Yeah, Game of Thrones. I was thinking Keenan and Kel. But that's ages ago. I don't know if people would know what Keenan and Kel is. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that I date myself sometimes when I say my one of my favorite shows was Friends, right? So in mm. any case, whether it's Friends or Keenan and Kel or Game of Thrones, the idea is what if you as an individual could star in the movie yourself, right? Now imagine you could cut, copy, and paste your face or voice, and you could be the character in the movie. And if you're a brand or if you're a consumer, you can now have higher degrees of participatory storytelling in the entire media sector. So instead of going to the cinema and watching a Hollywood flick, you might be able to actually see yourself cast into the movie. You can have a personal experience. If you watch the show Minority Report, imagine one day as you're browsing your newsfeed on Facebook, instead of seeing an ad, a generic ad for a shampoo or any sort of tech brand, you see the face of your friend selling you the specific product, right? So the many ways the human mind or our eyes, the way we pick up information about faces and voices, there's this intrinsic brain hack that gets activated because we recognize familiarity and we recognize celebrity. And so the entire culture and corpus that we've built around our present entertainment landscape, whether it is consumer apps from Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, all the way up to let's say, Hollywood-style productions, it is a massive popular culture that this technology can impact and transform. So mm -hmm. you would be, as a use case, right, like top three use cases today that I can immediately see is if you're a brand, you wanted to use this to create new content and use AI-generated stock photography. Great. Go ahead and do it. That's possible today. Mm -hmm. If you're a consumer and if you wanted to be your own hero in a movie, that is going to become possible today. And if you're just a family member and you want to preserve the cultural memory of your family, that will also be possible today, similar to the way that you save photographs as you used to do back then. And now you have photo books and all of that. Instead of physical copies or digital copies, you can actually now have the voice model or the AI model of that person. Right? So it's sort of the application use cases stretch across the individual family culture dynamic across the society. So yeah. it's going to be very wide, but of course, as a business, you have to focus. And mm -hmm. as a focus and effort and initiative, we're particularly focused on AI-generated virtual characters and 
highly realistic characters that we can bring to life to showcase sure. the power of this technology. Before we move on, here's a quick word from our sponsor, CoinsApp. CoinsApp, as I mentioned before, is a global social payments application for cryptocurrencies based on the DAN blockchain ecosystem and payments infrastructure to empower billions of people to send money around the world in seconds. Huge shout out to the guys for building out their ecosystem and do make sure to check out their beta, which is really cool actually, which they released around a week ago on the Apple Store or Google Play Store. So do check it out and let us know what you think. And now back to the show. Yeah, on your website, like I know Alex Mazmaj and I saw he has been created by AI, which is interesting. And I have to pay 99 bucks in order to see him. I already hear enough of his content on Twitter. Why would I pay $99 to see his AI generated face? Like I'm trying to understand what, you know, so you mentioned, okay, of course, the focus of the business and somebody buys these like. What happens, you know, what's the... Yeah, that's actually the perfect question because, and we're certainly going to be improving the copy on this website just to make it even clearer. But the general idea here is similar to Cameo. So are you familiar with Cameo.com? And what is Cameo? Yeah, Cameo is a company funded and started by a former colleague of mine who used to be at LinkedIn as well, who is great entrepreneur, Stephen Galanis. And what Stephen has done is he has allowed celebrities to connect with their fans by just doing personal shout-out. Oh, Gary Vee does a lot of that on his Instagram. Yeah, but he does it directly. You can go to yeah. Cameo.com and you can book Snoop Dogg or Mike Tyson and they will give you a personal fan base shout-out. And do you pay them for this? Yes, you pay them mm. for their time, you pay them for the moment because you see what has changed is the smartphone is now in the celebrity's hand and to create that content, it's a simple recording of 30 to 60 seconds yeah. that for the celebrity may not mean much, but actually for their entire fan base, that may mean a lot. And celebrities actually normally do this anyway, birthday parties or showing up at graduation speeches or giving this type of content out. It's that interaction with fandom and that entire fan space. In fact, the fan and celebrity and athlete space is going to go through a fundamental transformation because of blockchain technology. And I'll come to that shortly. But the idea yeah. here is that you can connect with your fans in a very powerful way. Now, the difference here is this. With Alex, you're seeing, of course, a celebrity in a way of sorts, right? Don't tell him that. Otherwise, he might increase his fees. But you can, you can actually see the value of Alex's tweets and his follower base and the awareness that he brings to the Ethereum ecosystem. But if one were to do the same with Lady Gaga and have her AI-generated version on our platform, and she is able to now speak Japanese. She's able to now speak Korean. She is now able to speak Arabic in her voice because of the AI-generated content. That opens up tremendous markets for her fan base, but also for her ability to access new opportunities. So if you're a brand in Japan, or if you're a brand in the Middle East, and you wanted to rent Lady Gaga's face, that's possible with our technology. And what would happen is, you would essentially be licensing her likeness out for your brand placement and she would be able to, or her AI-generated clone would be able to speak and endorse your brand and product, of course, with her permission and consent baked into that entire process. So, But the thing is, difference with Cameo is they're saying it live with what you're saying is AI-generated. Okay, and I understand, you know, this person cannot be with us anymore, but... 
like I just don't understand why would AI for celeb could just pick up the phone and be like, "Yo, what's up? Happy birthday or whatever." Then something genuine would be better than an AI generated one. Yeah, the difference here is really the pandemic has transformed the ability for production studios to create content. So if you want a Lady Gaga and if you're a brand in Japan, what would you normally do? You'd have to fly her into your studio, right? You'd have yeah. to pay the travel costs. You'd then have to pay the agency fees. You'd then have to spend time in the studio and you'd have to expose her to the possibility of contracting COVID in that entire process. Yeah. Right? So if you just look at how the pandemic has transformed travel and access to talent and the ability for these celebrities or even normal people to go out and enjoy a concert, it's going to become increasingly impossible. So we're going to see a trend where virtualization is going to create tremendous efficiencies and AI-generated content is going to facilitate and solve a lot of these problems. So yes, of course, it would be wonderful to have Lady Gaga be on the phone and saying a song for you and that works. But she can also today, as Alexa has done, Amazon's Alexa has done, has licensed out Gordon Ramsay's voice. So if you put Alexa in your kitchen, Gordon Ramsay can be shouting at you just like he does in Hell's Kitchen if you so like that experience, right? So there's a way for fans and brands and audiences to connect in this new environment where your voice and your face... But he's not recording those. He's he's not recording those. The algorithm learns the type of character he is and would spit out whatever it would, given that situation. I think in Alexa's case, it may be that he may have pre-recorded scripts or they may be using technology that allows new words to be inferred and created based on the existing framework. Although, from my understanding of reading a few reports, a lot of the back end of it is also augmented with human labor. So I'm not entirely sure because most of it is is not open source on their end. But yes, he may have pre-recorded certain scripts. There's enough content of him out there for them to train a model on. The idea is you don't need to have Gordon Ramsay physically around to create custom content. You can scale his presence out 24-7. He doesn't have to be there. And you can get him to speak multiple languages. And you can get him to have a relationship in terms of the way he connects with his fans and audiences without ever needing to actually physically Oh my God, it was that episode in Black Mirror. That's what reminds me of. (laughs) Yeah, Black Mirror has done a great service and a disservice. I think... (laughs) It's so scary. (laughs) They literally went up a notch. They created this human body. There was this lady and then the, her husband died and then she managed to talk to him over the phone and he would speak like him. And and then later his body arrives and then, oh my God, it's just weird. It was so weird. No, it's exactly pointing to where the, I mean, there's Black Mirror, there's Westworld. There are these dystopian themes that are emerging from, I think, our collective unconscious about how we are afraid of this technology that we are getting so close to every day. So you see cinema and art reflecting our fears a lot more than than sometimes we are willing to acknowledge and accept ourselves. So I think the idea here of embodiment, what you just talked about, when you embody something, a voice on a phone is a voice, right? And a face on the screen is just a face. But when you really embody it, This is when I started to see the impact of hyper-realistic robots that look and sound human. And my friends at Hanson Robotics, who are the founders of the Sophia robot and David Hanson, Mm -hmm. his vision there, create realistic robots. It's moving in that direction, right? So now you add voice, you add face, 
you add personality, you add text that they have had, and you can scale it out. Except the robot is still a physical being and can't scale. The difference is AI-generated characters online can scale infinitely faster and be copied, pasted, and applied in different contexts. Cool. All right. So we've got a couple of minutes left. I wanted to get to the blockchain part quicker and sooner, but we, it was way too interesting. Um, so no, no, of course. Tell me, how are you guys implementing blockchain? Why is that trust layer needed? And you're also adding a bit of DeFi elements to that as well and tokenization. <laughs> so love for you to, to share this. Yeah, I'll just caveat by saying that, you know, a startup dies of indigestion more than they die of hunger. So I'm very careful about not overdoing it, just making sure that the blockchain layer is, you know, for us, it's really about partnering with the right layer one solution. And there's so many interesting reasons to do so. I'll give you the top two, okay? The first idea is that the cost of creating deepfakes is going to drop rapidly. So if you go on Twitter today yeah. and you look at deepfake text, okay, what is fake text? Fake text is when you go on Twitter and you see hundreds of Elon Musk profiles, everyone claiming to be Elon Musk. There's even a cool Twitter handle called Bored Elon. I recommend it. Really funny Twitter handle and account, right? Everyone is claiming to be Elon, but there's only one blue check verified Elon Musk. And that is controlled by Twitter, a centralized entity that is determining the provenance that Elon himself is who he says he is. He's probably given, I don't know whether they have a KYC process for giving out the blue ticks, but essentially that's the provenance and provided by a centralized player that validates that Elon is who he is, right? And this is very consequential because Elon Musk has tweeted out funny things that have affected Tesla's stock price. This has been documented. If you apply the same level of analogy, and this is just text, and now you think that people will be able to clone voices and faces in the next few years quite rapidly, and this technology is coming and it's going to be democratized and a lot of people are going to be able to use it, if the cost of creating deepfakes drops rapidly, who is going to determine what is true or not? And then we are left with several open and interesting questions. In countries where there is tremendous freedom, to assemble, to counter, where you have multiple viewpoints, oftentimes you'd find private sector approaches to determining provenance of information and truth. So you see some experiments in the US with the New York Times testing out how they can use the blockchain to determine whether a certain piece of video content is true or not. You have Reuters experimenting with that and testing it out too. But in other countries where this may not exist, oftentimes the state, the political state will come in to state what is true or not, because they want to control the narrative. So at the end of the day, what's going to happen is you'll need a layer of truth in society. You'll need that blue tick. My thesis or hypothesis is that this is going to rest on a scalable layer one solution. And that layer one solution will allow us to validate whether that person is who that person is. And anything else that is any content, any video content, any photo content that is not yet validated by the person on chain should be inferred as false. And this is under the thesis that there will be significant copies of content and of people without their permission floating yeah. around the internet, just like you have it for Elon. So that's the main idea behind the need for a blockchain. Gotcha. Awesome. No, sounds good. Sounds good. I'm sure we, we might have a part two later on either sure. again on air or privately, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Really, really enjoyed this conversation. And I'm sure those who tuned in have learned something new as well. Do check out which one was it at Borrowed, Borrow Elon, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bored Elon. Not done by us, but you can follow yeah. us on. Yeah. I think sometimes we've retweeted some of this stuff. So 
you can follow us at real underscore Alitia and yeah. check out our website at uh, Alitia.ai as well. And so we're integrating by economy as well to help us. That's something I'm really excited about that we're integrating by economy to help us do gasless transactions. That's really important to us. No, of course, of course. Happy to make that partnership. Great. Thank you so much again, Arif. And we'll speak soon. Thank you so much, Ahmed. I appreciate the time and the opportunity to chat. Of course. Take care. Thank you.